You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, we're in the book of Jonah. We've begun a whole new series. We're going to go verse by verse. Last time we started in chapter 1 at verse 1, we ended up at about verse 5. I want to pick up back again at verse 1. Let's revisit this. Now, it happened that the word of Yahweh was orientated toward Jonah, saying, now, I think it'd be better to render the Hebrew as orientated rather than positioned, as we said before. The orientation is the direction that the word of Yahweh is facing. The second person of the Holy Trinity is facing Jonah in order to speak. Now, remember, in the Old Testament, when we talk about the second person of the Holy Trinity, this is the word of Yahweh, the messenger who is sent, the sent one. And so he is the one who is now speaking to Jonah, and he's going to send Jonah as a prophet. So whenever you see a prophet sent, a human being, a man being sent by God, that is a picture of the Holy Incarnation, when the messenger will take upon flesh and blood. The message will be incarnate to dwell among us. That's the incarnation of the word when the word became flesh. Now, here in Jonah chapter 1, we have the word. That's the second person of the Holy Trinity sending Jonah to speak the message, to be a messenger of God, to give the message from heaven. Now, Jonah, of course, is a prophet in the northern kingdom. Now, keep this in mind. As we said last time, historically, we place Jonah in the time period of Jeroboam II in the northern kingdom. Now, of course, that's in 2 Kings chapter 14, where we see that reference. Now, it's important to note that Jeroboam II acts just like Jeroboam I. Now, Jeroboam I is the one who had separated from the southern kingdom, separating from the Holy temple in Jerusalem. So Jonah's a prophet in the north, but yet Jonah will talk about the holy temple, the one at Jerusalem, the place where God promises his presence, the place where his name will dwell. That, of course, in and of itself is pointing to the incarnation. For in the Old Testament, every time you see a location, a place where God is present with his people, this is pointing toward that fulfillment in the incarnation. The place where we want to see God dwelling for his people, for all humanity, is in the person of Jesus Christ. So the word becomes flesh. In fact, the body of Jesus is a temple. Jesus will talk that same kind of language in which God dwells. So God himself is dwelling in the flesh. But Jonah, of course, is pointing toward the holy temple. That place where the name of Yahweh is promised to be present for pardon and peace. Now, in the incarnation, Jesus is the place where Yahweh is present for pardon and peace. He is the Prince of Peace. 
Now, this is significant because Jonah is a prophet in the northern kingdom where Jeroboam I had instituted two different temples, one way at the northern tip, Dan, and one way at the southern tip, which was Beth-El. Those were the two places where he wanted his people, the people of Israel, to go in order to worship in the way of the world, in the style of the contemporaries. But Jeroboam I did not want his people going to Jerusalem. Because if you go to Jerusalem, so Jerusalem is the place of Yahweh's name. It's the city of Yahweh. It's also the city where the throne of David resides. And so, of course, Jeroboam, the kings of the north, who are not in the line of David, who do not have the promise of the Messiah, coming from the sons of David, being the son of David, they're always afraid that the people of Israel will be loyal to David and the sons of David waiting for the Messiah to come. And of course, they're also concerned about the Levites at the temple in Jerusalem, which are there instituted by God in order to enact the sacrifices that were instituted by God with God's promise of forgiveness, pardon, and peace. So keep all of this in mind as we talk about Jonah as a prophet of the northern kingdom. And there is a little bit of an irony here. He's in the north calling out to the people of God to repent and turn back to Yahweh. But Jonah does not want to go to the Gentiles and call them to repent so that they would turn to Yahweh and also have life, salvation, and the forgiveness of sins. So there is a little bit of an irony here. So now going back to Jonah chapter 1, again we have in verse 3 that Jonah rose to flee toward Tarshish, Tarshish uh, from the face of Yahweh. So Jonah does not want to orientate himself toward the temple, the holy temple in Jerusalem. He wants to turn his back and go the other way. So keep that in mind, that he wants to flee from the holy temple here. I mean, so there's a strange thing that's taking place. Jonah does not want to go to the Gentiles in order to proclaim the saving word of salvation. But the irony is, he ends up going to the Gentiles on that ship. The mariners, these pagans who don't have the promise of pardon and peace found in the promise of the Messiah. So this is where we'll pick up at verse 6, after the mariners are already crying out to each one of their own gods. Now in verse 6, then the captain approached him, being Joan, of course, and he said to him, why are you a deep sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps God will take notice of us and we will not perish. So again, here's the, the, the irony is that Jonah is trying to flee from the presence of Yahweh so that he doesn't go to the Gentiles, but he ends up going to the Gentiles on this ship. <laughs> so the, these Gentiles are calling out to their own deities, to their, their own imagined understanding, the images that they have in their heart of what they think 
the divine natures, the divine essence, the one who is the God, who is the other. Whatever form of their understanding of their deity that they're loyal to in the way in which they serve that God. And so you have the captain now telling Jonah to rise up and call out to his God. I mean, ironically, it's here the captain is echoing the same words of the second person of the Holy Trinity. Arise and call out. It's the same Hebrew words. <laughs> so you, you either call out in the name of Yahweh preaching or you call out in the name of Yahweh praying. And so you have praying and proclaiming in the name of Yahweh. And here you have a Gentile telling Jonah that he should arise and he should call out to his God. Now, we want to be clear here that everybody has a God. Even somebody who's an atheist who says, I don't have a God. Because a God is that to which you look to in your time of trouble. That to which you look to for all of your happiness and joy and all the good things in life. So on both ends of the spectrum, that which you are thankful for, thankful to because of all the good that you have, what you look to for your greatest good, but also that to which you look to when you are in need because you are going to perish, you are going to die. And so here you have the captain with his God, the mariners with their gods, and so he's going to tell Jonah, cry out to your God. And notice how the verse then kind of unfolds in verse 7. Then, next sequence of events that happens, then they said, each one to his neighbor, come and let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this evil has come to us. <laughs> so here the mariners want to know, why do we have this evil coming upon us? And when we talk about evil here, evil is that which takes away life. Life is good. Death is bad. And so that which takes away from life, they are afraid that they are going to perish. They are going to die. This is the evil that has come upon them. This is that great wind that has been hurled, and now it's a great storm. And so they are concerned about this evil that's going to cause them to perish. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So here's the Gentiles trying to figure out, why is this happening to us? Who brought this evil to us? And ironically, who's the one who brought the evil? Jonah, the one who is the prophet of the living God. The one who is to speak God's good word that brings life. And so in the next verse, in verse 8, the text goes on and says, Then they said to him, Please tell us on whose account this evil has come to us. <laughs> so they, they've cast the lots. And now they, wanna, they want affirmation from Jonah himself. They want Jonah to confide in them. The lots were cast. And it appears that you are the one who has brought the evil. Please tell us so. Is this the case? And so they start to interrogate him and say, What is your occupation? And from where do you come? What is your land? And where is this that your people are from? So now they're intrigued with this Jonah. 
the one who has basically commissioned the ship to take him across the sea. Who are you? And what is it that you are bringing? Because it appears that you have brought evil. Now, in verse 9, Jonah is going to respond to their inquiry. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, look at this confession of faith that Jonah is giving. He's confessing that he is a Hebrew. That means that he is a son of Abraham. And as a son of Abraham, he has the promise of the seed that is going to crush the serpent's skull. That promise that was given to Adam and Eve. That promise that was carried by Noah in the ark. That promise that Abraham is given. That it's in Abraham all the nations are going to be blessed. I mean, so there's a little bit of irony here. He's a son of Abraham, through which all the nations are going to be blessed. But Jonah is on the ship bringing evil. This doesn't seem like a, a blessing. So I am a Hebrew. I have the promise of the Messiah. The Gentiles do not have this promise. The Gentiles do not have the oracles of God. The Gentiles do not have the prophets proclaiming this message of peace that's found in Jesus, the message of pardon that we have for his sake. So he says, I am a Hebrew. And then he goes on to give the divine name, Yahweh. I fear Yahweh. This is a confession of faith that he is one who trusts in the God who rescued, redeemed, delivered, and saved the Israelites from the house of slavery in Egypt. That's that confession of faith. We are of the people who trust in the God who has overcome Pharaoh and the kingdoms of this earth. Of course, Pharaoh becomes the epitome of all the kingdoms of this earth that try to prevent God's kingdom from coming. But yet they do this in vain. They plot in vain. God's king will come. God's kingdom will come. So just this small confession of faith, he's saying, I am a Hebrew. That is a son of Abraham who has the promise of the promised land, the place where the incarnation will take place. Born in Bethlehem, crucified in Jerusalem, the place where God's name dwells for the benefit of his people. And furthermore, the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt. They were in slavery. But yet Yahweh took them out, brought them out with a strong, mighty hand and an outstretched arm to take them back to the promised land where they wait the promised Messiah. And so to emphasize this, he even goes further and says, this is the God of the heavens. This is the creator not the God that you worship of the sea, Yom, this understanding of the sea being a God. Maybe it's Poseidon or Neptune or whatever background you have from whether, whatever nation. But it's not just some deity that is personified in creation. It is the creator who created all things. So to clarify, he's the one who made the sea and the dry land. Now, the irony here, again, 
is that they're in the sea. And so the one who made the sea is Yahweh. And Jonah is a prophet of Yahweh. He fears Yahweh. Now, when we talk about fearing Yahweh, we want to properly understand that this is one who is a true believer, one who is a repentant, believing sinner. The Gentiles are unrepentant, unbelieving sinners. But as a repentant, believing sinner, to state that I fear Yahweh is to acknowledge that I cannot stand in Yahweh's presence based upon my own merit, my own deeds, my own self-chosen works of righteousness or self-chosen works of holiness. So to fear Yahweh means that you understand that you cannot stand before him with your righteousness. You need a different righteousness, a righteousness that's given as a gift, a passive righteousness that's received by faith versus the active achieved righteousness by what you do. Of course, these sailors, these mariners, by nature, they do not fear Yahweh. They think that they can stand upon their own worship, their own work, whatever it may be. But Jonah says, I fear Yahweh the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, the emphasis of the dry land is God's the one who delivers. He's the one who makes dry land where there is water. That's the exodus. That's the crossing of the Red Sea. That the Israelites, who by faith, they crossed the Red Sea on dry land. But Pharaoh's army, tried to pursue them without faith, and they drowned in the sea. So the Israelites have a way made by Yahweh, the dry land. This dry land is what God does to deliver his people from the water. So now the mariners are in the water. It appears that they are going to perish by the water because of the great wind and the great storm. But yet Jonah is the one who confesses the true God, the living God, the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land, the one who delivers from drowning in the water. Now, notice what this does to the men. So as Jonah says, I fear Yahweh, in verse 10, the response is, then the men feared a great fear. Now, see the contrast Jonah fears Yahweh. He acknowledges and understands that he cannot stand before Yahweh, who is holy. He cannot stand before Yahweh, the only one who is righteous, based upon his own righteousness. So, Jonah fears God's wrath. But Jonah also knows that because of the promises of God fulfilled in Christ, for the sake of the seed that would crush the serpent's head, that he can stand justified, that is righteous in God's sight, by an alien righteousness, a righteousness that is given as a gift, the righteousness that is received because of God's mercy, delivered to us by the person and the work of the Son, who stands as the mediator between us and God's wrath. So this is Jonah. That's the fear he has. But the men, 
they have a great fear. They fear death. They fear that they are about to die and they are going to meet their maker. They are going to stand before the judge. So they have a great fear. With the great wind and the great storm comes a great fear of the men. And so when you have this great fear and the conscience is now terrified, the conscience is sounding an alarm saying, you've got to do something. You've got to change course. And immediately, because of the corruption of the heart, the individual starts saying, what can we do to change course? So they say in response, and the men said to him, what is this that you have done? Because now Jonah's done something bringing evil and they don't know what to do. Because the men knew that from the face of Yahweh, he was fleeing because he told them. So this is the men. They are now terrified in their conscience that they are going to be brought before their maker. They are going to meet their end. And they said to him in verse 11, what will we do with you? Now, see, so the conscience, when it's terrified, it wants to do something. It's going to try to either flee or it's going to try to fight. So what are we going to do? Yahweh is now upon us. Jonah is a prophet of Yahweh. So what are we going to do with Yahweh's prophet? What will we do with you, Jonah, so that the sea would calm down from upon us? So that's the question they are now asking God's prophet because the sea was moving in storm. It continues. It continues to attack, if you will. So in verse 12, this is the response of God's prophet. Then he said to them, lift me up and hurl me into the sea and the sea will calm down from upon you because I know that it is on account of me that this great storm has come upon you. Now we want to pause for a moment and just think about these words of Jonah. So here's the prophet of God, the one who is the mouthpiece, the one who is to speak the word of God. Yahweh had hurled the great wind and it became a great storm. And now Jonah says, lift me up and hurl me. Now before, they were hurling their cargo into the sea, as if by somehow they could appease the wrath of the sea, the god of the sea, Yom. But now Jonah says the solution is hurl me. I'm the one who's going to be thrown into the sea to die. So we pause here and we see a picture. We see a picture of one man who is to die in the stead of others. One who is to be lifted up and hurled into the sea. Now remember, when we talk about the waters and we go back to the waters of the flood, it was in the flood where we see the picture of those who did not have faith were drowned, but eight were saved by water. That is, Noah and his family. Of course, in the Red Sea, we see the waters. The believers were those who walked across on the dry land. But the soldiers of Pharaoh, 
they drowned in unbelief. And now we have a picture of one being thrown into the sea, a prophet being lifted up and hurled. And Jonah says, I know it is on my account that this great storm has come upon you. Now, these are are strange words that enter into the ears of the mariners. Because notice how they respond to this in verse 13. Then the men rode to turn back to the dry land. Now, it is intriguing, again, that you have the dry land. So Yahweh is the God of the dry land. He's the one who delivers from the floods, the seas, the waters that drown. And he's the one who makes the waters into a dry land. He makes a way of salvation. But what do the mariners want to do? They want to take matters into their own hands. And so by their own effort, by their own work, they have decided what is best is to flee. And we will flee to the dry land. Not with the help of Yahweh, but by their own power, by their own effort, by their own merit. So then the men rode to turn back to the dry land, but they were not able, for the sea continued moving and storming upon them. Now again, let's pause it and just take apart this verse and chew on this for a bit. Here we see a picture of humanity trying to avert death and doom, trying to avert being drowned in the sea with the great storm coming upon them. And so humanity tries to do something, but they are unable. They cannot achieve what they want to do. They cannot get to the dry land. They cannot save themselves. They are not able. The storm keeps coming. It does not stop. So notice that what takes place in the next verse, as the sequence of events unfold. So, they called out to Yahweh. Now before, they were calling out to their own gods. They did not know Yahweh, the God of the heavens the maker of the sea and the dry land. They were trying to achieve the dry land by their own efforts, but they could not. And now here's the work of the Holy Spirit through these words of Jonah in conversation with them about the true God, that now their hearts are turned. They are now turned to the true God. So they call out to Yahweh. And again, notice that this is that same understanding that we have of that calling out. You either call out in the name of Yahweh in prayer, or you call out in the preaching of the name of Yahweh. And so here they are now joining with Jonah to call out in the name of Yahweh. Now take note, this is that same word again that you either preach in the name of Yahweh or you pray in the name of Yahweh. And Jonah's not preaching in the name of Yahweh to Nineveh. He's fleeing. He's not praying in the name of Yahweh, as the captain told him, as far as the text tells us. But instead, the Holy Spirit draws the emphasis 
upon these mariners that have been converted to faith so that they pray in the name of Yahweh. So they called out to Yahweh and they said, Please, Yahweh, let us not perish on account of the soul of this man, and let not the innocent blood be held against us, for you, Yahweh, do as you please. Now here's a confession of faith, a confession as they are praying and calling out in the name of Yahweh. And notice that they understand this idea of innocent blood. It was the blood of Abel that cried out to Yahweh from the ground. And now they are crying out to Yahweh from the sea that the blood of Jonah would not be held against them. This blood points to a better blood, the blood of Jesus, the mediator of a New Testament, the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening, and may our Redeemer Jesus Christ continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.